Hey everyone, welcome to the Got 10 Minutes podcast, the podcast for product managers. Today we speak with Zia Mohammed, who is a senior product manager at AWS Quantum. Hey Zia, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So Zia, tell us about yourself. What's your background? Like, how did you get into product? Yeah, you know, it's it's actually quite an interesting story because I never imagined myself to be in a role that requires interfacing with so many people or even, you know, have some level of public speaking. You know, growing up, uh, actually up until the 11th grade, I was not really a social person. You know, being able to speak in front of people, even in small settings, was something that was really difficult for me. And, you know, much credit to my mother who put me in these like public speaking classes and really kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone to be able to go and, you know, give presentations, talk to people. And I kind of started developing this interest in it, like, wow, you know, kind of finding your voice in a sense. And that kind of led me into, you know, my college years where I was formally studying engineering. Um, so I ended up going to Ohio State, go Bucks, shout out. Um, I studied electrical engineering and neuroscience and still had some of those tendencies of heads down, keep working. And one point wanted to go to graduate school, but through an internship, I was actually able to discover what product management was. I remember I was working as an engineering intern and there was this guy and he would always be on calls, interfacing with like designers. You know, I could see on his screen, he had like whiteboards in the background with post-it notes. And I was like, this person has a cool job. I don't know what it is. I don't know what he does on a day-to-day basis, but I'm going to give myself a week and say, I'm going to go talk to this person and be like, what do you do? And it was actually through that experience that I came to learn about product management how it's truly the intersection between design, business, and engineering, and really decided to take the leap of faith. I briefly was at this PC firm, but ended up getting an offer from IBM to go and join you know, their APM program, really get into their bootcamp, which at that time was three months long. And it was a really good experience for me to learn about product management, hone in on some of those speaking skills, really find comfort within myself to be like, hey, I come from a tech background. This is what I'm going to use to pivot into product, but really kind of use that as my initial journey in product. Oh, wow. So a background in electrical engineering and neuroscience, how those are, I would say, two, I would say probably contradicting fields. Like what was the reason for uh, selecting those fields to, to study? You know, that's the interesting thing. I I think in, in this day and age, you have to find two things that might seem like opposites Mm. and really try to bridge the gap between them. In my case, my interest in electrical engineering and neuroscience was all around the brain, Mm -hmm. brain controlled Mm -hmm. prosthetics, neural prosthetics, bridging those two things together and really looking at it from a lens of both rather than just one, because, you know, the world is becoming smaller and smaller and you can't just go and look at things from one angle. You got to analyze them from different angles. And for me, looking into those two separate fields and trying to bridge the gap between them was something that I didn't realize was indirectly product management. Mm. But being a PM requires you to look at things from different angles, take things that might seem tangentially opposite and see how you can align the stories between them. And so my main interest around that field was uh, primarily around neuroprosthetics, something I didn't pursue maybe in the future. But that's kind of how I came to picking those two. Interesting. And how how 
does your background, uh, particularly in neuroscience, affect what you do um, in product, especially with interfacing with with users or customers or prospective users? Sure. So back then, um, it was more actually AI focused because when I joined IBM, I was working on their AI team. Uh, the products that I was working on were machine translation. Uh, sentiment analysis, natural language processing, and having that background in, you know, the AI space, having taken some of those classes, not only on the computational side, but also on the more open thinking side to like, how does this work? How does this actually function? I think that was initially the pivot. And I keep using this word pivot. um, But I think really, if you want to move through your career or life, you need to find out what your pivots are. So the concept of pivots really referring to, okay, I had studied AI. I wanted to get into product. Maybe I should go work in AI product management or look in there. And using the concept of pivots throughout your career to eventually further your goals and get to what you want. Interesting. Um, so now you're at AWS Quantum. Uh, there probably is a lot you can say about your role, but what you can say, like how, how has the experience been and how was the transition from IBM to AWS Quantum? Yeah, so I, I, I guess I should throw the disclaimer that you know all of these views are my own um, and don't reflect the company. But the transition was actually really interesting. Um, I worked at a company called Chime. Um, it's a fintech startup based out of the Bay Area in between IBM and AWS. But it was it was really interesting because when I started at Ohio State, going a little further back, I really learned the value of education and the importance that it has on furthering your goals in your career. IBM, I was initially working in the AI space, uh, developed some skills around cloud computing. And the thing for quantum computing was, you know, these computers are massive. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not necessarily accessible where you can just have it in your house. And the best way to access them was through the cloud. And having gained some of those skills, I ended up working at IBM Quantum. And at IBM, I really ended up learning the importance of passion for your work. Sometimes it's a hyperbole where people say, you know, you'll never work a day in your life if you like what you do. And, you know, I, I agree with that to some extent, but... I think it's really important to be passionate about the work that you do because that's what will really make you go the extra mile when you're awake on like a Friday night thinking about, you know, your feature release or one of these things. But, you know, I was at IBM for a little over four years. I had tried out a bunch of different teams at IBM, you know, two completely different products. And one of the things I realized was I want to just try something completely different. Mm -hmm. And I went from being a emerging technologies product manager who was in AI, in quantum computing, going to a fintech startup, still in product, that was my pivot point, working at a startup, not even close to the size of IBM, completely different corporate culture, but again, working on something that I was passionate about. As an aside, financial, financial, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not freedom, but like just financial safety and security is something that, I, I don't want to say plagues, but it's something that's a big concern, you know? People think of finance as quantum computing. Mm. You start talking finance and people are like, oh my God, this person is talking about something that I don't understand. And really working at Chime was able to help me get insight into how this works. But I think the most important thing I learned there was life balance, the work-life balance. Mm. Um, yes, you can be passionate about something and you know you can put 10, 12 hours into it, 
But if you really want to win in the long run, you have to have that work-life balance. Mm. And an interesting opportunity came up where Amazon had reached out, you know, I had some friends who went there from IBM and they were like, hey, are you interested in getting back into the quantum computing space? You know, Amazon is in this space. We're doing a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, do you want to check it out? And I entertained some of the conversations and ended up taking a leap of faith to go back into corporate America. And that's kind of how I made it over to Amazon Quantum, where I'm currently working on a, fee- a product called Bracket. Um, Bracket is referring to the cloud-based service that we offer for quantum computing. And as I mentioned earlier, getting access to these quantum computers isn't simply, oh, I'll buy one and put it in my living room, or I'll put it on my desk. Um, Bracket is the quantum computing service that's offered through Amazon that allows you to get access to various types of quantum computers. So the hardware that makes up these quantum computers right now is different. There might be some that have to be cooled down to really low temperatures, some that use lasers, and being able to experiment and play around with all of these different hardware types and just gain access to them is what Bracket really provides at the end of the day for users. Mm. And uh, if if you can uh, uh, say, uh, what what is a long-term goal, I would say, of um, uh, the Bracket team? Is it to be the um, the go-to platform for all uh, um, forms of computing, uh, essentially? You know, I think the interesting thing about the quantum computing field, generally speaking, is it's it's where computing was back in like the 60s. Mm. So you remember those large computers that you might have seen in movies that people were running computations on, these kind of things. And if you asked people back then where quantum computing was going, or I mean computing was going, they would have no idea that, you know, you'd have an iPhone in your pocket that was, you know, 10, 50 times as powerful. And so that's where quantum computing is right now. And so our main mission that we're really centered around is making it as easy and accessible for our customers to gain access to these quantum computers to do the things that they need to do. Mm. And so that's more of our immediate term goal. Got it. And the role that you have now, how different would you say uh, it, it is from the roles that you've had before? Sure. So there is definitely some overlap um, with the stuff that I was doing at IBM and Watson, the AI solution and IBM Quantum. Because the type of PM that you have to have for these is really around emerging technology. Mm. This is a technology that isn't necessarily sussed out. It needs to be more defined. There's a lot of research that goes into developing your personas, developing workshops on how are we going to build out strategy? How are we going to really identify the jobs that our users need to do, like the things that they come to actually do? And so I see a lot of overlap in that sense, where you're working with researchers, scientists, academics, people who are new to this industry as a whole. And you know we refer to them as quantum curious. So people who have an interest in quantum computing, but they might not know what they're there to do, but they're, they're just there to learn. So I think there's definitely a lot of overlap in that sense. And then on the other side, I think you know a lot of, I don't want to call them regular PM positions, but... PM positions that are focused on growth hacking or optimizing, you know, various flows and channels. I think there are elements of that that come in, 
working on, hey, how do we best optimize a user flow? How do we best optimize, you know, what we've built out a UI? How can we, you know, make it easier for users? How can we monitor our analytics on that? So I think there's elements of traditional PM roles that come into play. But I think really when you're looking at these kind of technologies, you have to look at, hey, this is an emerging tech field. How can I think back to previous experiences that I've had to say, this is how you work with researchers. This is how you kind of suss out the demand for a field that is still being explored. Mm. And one of the things when I speak with my friends from Amazon that they'd had the biggest um, uh, hurdle to overcome with when going to Amazon was basically writing down everything before they, they did it. How did you um, adapt to the document-driven development culture uh, when you uh, switched over to Amazon? Yeah, I think a good way to encapsulate this or think about it is long-form prose. Mm. So really thinking about when you're reading a book, you're just sitting there and absorbing what you know the author is trying to portray. You don't have an opportunity to go and be like, hey, Mr. Author, Mrs. Author, how to cut them off. Be like, oh, wait, I have this question, I have that question. The, the thing that I love about long-form prose and I guess document-driven development is you really need to take the time to sit down and actually read through what the person is trying to say. You can't mm -hmm. cut them off. If you have questions, sure, you can you know, leave post-it notes or comments. But I think my, you know, as product managers, generally speaking, we all have to write some type of documents, you know, product requirements, documents at Amazon, PR, FAQs, different types of documents. But, you know, I, I'd say I, I really enjoy this uh, concept of having to write down all your thoughts because as the author, it makes you think through what you're trying to say and really make sure that you're honing in on those details, mm. you know, PR, FAQ, FAQ, facts and questions. So you write down, hey, what do you think people are thinking? What are some common questions? Am I addressing those in my original document? And then as a reader, you know, we have these doc reads where, you know, you might go in for an hour and the first like 20, 30 minutes of the meeting is silent. People are just reading the document. They're trying to understand what you're trying to get across. Mm. And it's really interesting because, you know, maybe you or I have both given PowerPoint presentations where someone is always posting questions in the chat, or they're like, wait, I have a question. And it really throws off from the storytelling. Wow. And uh, I would contrast that with as well, um, uh, what things I would say about that process uh, you think could enhance uh, the way how it's 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 done? Or what advice you for companies do you have uh, who'd like to um, implement this, this strategy within their own company? How, how do you like set this up or how, wh what do you do? Sure, I think it's, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with the process. Uh, it's growing on me for sure. I'd say for, you know, the second half of your question, for companies or, you know, organizations that are really trying to look at this process, really find your champions. So let's say if you're down to try this out, identify one or two other people who would be down to tango. Let's say you're a product manager or you're a proposer for you know some type of, a not a proposer, uh, let's say you're someone trying to advance some type of a product or advance some type of a proposal. What you can do is write it down, take the time, you know, go outside, you know, work outside, take the time to write down what thoughts you're trying to push for, have them in a structured format, Always start with your persona. Who are you building for? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Have some structured thinking to identify this is the situation. 
these are some of the things that I'm trying to advocate for. These are the ways that I can push it forward. And these are the outcomes that I'm really trying to drive for. Mm. Identify those champions and have them peer review it. Get them to sit in a meeting. You can send it beforehand, no guarantees that they'll read it, but sit down in that meeting, chat with them, brainstorm, ideate, and really try to run something small, gain your successes, gauge what worked well, what didn't work well, and try to scale up from there. And I think you know you and the people you're working with will really find some value in having just taken the time to sit down, talk through it, and written down what proposal you're looking for. Mm. What's one of the most satisfying things that you do on a daily basis? Uh, personal or work-related? Uh, it could be both, uh, work-related and also personal. Yeah, so I think uh, I'll start with the personal. I've started taking a lot of walks. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be the person who would just be sitting at their desk or on their computer for, you know, like, you know, hours beyond then. But I've really learned the value in just taking a break. And by taking a break, I don't mean just like going, getting a glass of water, just like pausing in the middle of the day for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes and walking around the block. I live in Manhattan, so there's always something going on. And, you know, whether that's walking to a park or just walking around the block, I've really found that when you come back, you will really not only feel refreshed mentally, but the thing you're working on, you might have a new lens to it. And so that's something that I've recently started doing on a daily basis that has not only been good for my mental health, but it's just allowed me to be better at some of the work that I'm doing. I think from a work point of view, I know I kind of blended the two in my previous statement. Yeah, that's the way how life works. You have to blend the two. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, really being more communicative and maybe I'm going to blend them again. So maybe I'm discreetly giving you two. Uh, <laughs> being more communicative and opinionated. You know, I used to, maybe it's because, you know, if you think back to when we started chatting, it was the experiences that I had growing up where I wasn't really vocal about my opinions or these kind of things. I found it's really beneficial to have an opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, don't be zealous with your opinion, but people actually are interested in what you have to bring. That's why mm -hmm. they've invited you to the table, mm -hmm. or that's why they're having a conversation with you. And so I think another satisfying thing is being able to have an opinion. Again, don't be zealous about it, but uh, you know, on a daily basis, you know, think about what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you know, vocalize that if you need to. I love that. Um, and this is one question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Uh, or last question: What's one weakness you've turned into your strength? That's a really good question. Again, I'll go back to the beginning of the conversation where I was. I came from a place where I wasn't very chatty. Now my mom always jokes, we can't get him to stop talking. I, I came from this place, you know, this uh, engineering stereotype for lack of a better word, where I wasn't very communicative. I wasn't really open to discussing these things. And, you know, I've kind of, you know, I still carry some of those qualities in various aspects of my life. But I think one thing that I've gotten out of this that I've kind of turned into a strength is empathy for those kind of situations. Mm. Because when you work with people indirectly or directly, there's a lot of people who are still in those kind of situations where they might not necessarily vocalize their opinion. They might be a little shy to talk about, you know, what they're feeling, what they're doing. And I think the level of empathy that I've been able to develop 
because I was in that situation, I think has really helped me have deeper and more productive conversations um, to really advance what we're working on or what we're working towards. Mm. And I do believe that's one thing that's really lacking, um, especially in, in product um, and the entire process, having empathy for um, your fellow employees, empathy for users um, kind of guides you down the path of building the right thing. You know, so I, I really love when that's the focus um, and I love your take. Uh, on that. So Zia, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I always feel the energy coming through the screen and like coming through my headphones whenever uh, we talk. So I know our, our listeners are going to feel that same energy when they hear this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to, you know, if people are listening, if they want to connect, chat more, happy to, you know, channel LinkedIn or whatever. So thanks for uh, having me. Awesome. So here, uh, the, uh, LinkedIn is the best place for them to reach out to you. What's your LinkedIn? Uh, it's just linkedin.com forward slash IN and then my name. Thanks so much for, for being on the podcast and uh, looking forward to chat again. And thanks for listening to the Got 10 Minutes podcast. To stay in touch, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or the podcast app you're listening to this on right now for more episodes. Take care. Take care.